Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the fifth column podcast. Uh, delighted to be back with you. This is uh, your weekly or at least almost weekly rhetorical assault on the uh, news cycle and the people who make it in ourselves and some other stuff. It's, um, it's mostly it's weekly. weekly. It's mostly weekly. It's fucking weekly. This is oh, episode 37. Oh and we had, as, we, as if you didn't, as if you didn't oh, know. Man. We um, had a sp- an explicit request explicit on Twitter. Explicit request. Can you please not, not cuss for an entire swear. show? Yeah, first, first word I said. Yeah, a polite word of warning. So uh, sorry. For anyone, anyone listening uh, for the so first sorry. time. First, I, I apologize for my, my, my colleague. My comrade, um, there's nothing to worry about here. Um, everything is fine, but there may be strong language um, and respectful and nuanced commentary uh, over the course of the next hour or so. We have no, along, no idea how long this will take. Um, there will likely also be some spurious allegations. Uh, it's all in good fun. Uh, it's all quite serious as well. Um, so take, take it seriously. And if you're listening to this with a friend, uh, don't talk while we're talking. It's rude, and you're yeah. ruining this for everyone. Uh, I'm Camille Foster of Freethink Media. Are you talking about someone in particular? No. I'm okay, not. I don't know if somebody like no. complained to you. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Uh, right. That 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 voice that you're hearing right now is uh, one Michael Moynihan of Vice News, uh, and we are also joined, of course, by uh, Mr. Matt Welch, editor at large at Reason Magazine. Why Gentlemen, are we even calling him Michael Moynihan anymore? Uh, it should just be Hollywood. Just Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh-huh. not everyone, not everyone <laughs> is familiar <laughs> with the program, yeah. and they don't uh, have yeah. all of the lore. That, that yeah, sort of sure. But did you I mean, I can that. give them context and be like, you know, last night I had dinner with Philip Michael Thomas. Yeah, there's the um, name drama. Did you really? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, the guy from Airwolf uh, is coming over tonight. to go out with like Amanda Knox, for yeah. example. I mean, if, if that could happen, that would be fun. Yeah. Well, God, you on, know, I, I always ask you guys um, how you're doing at the, at the end of the, at the beginning of these uh, programs. <laughs> I, I never am asked in, a, in return, like sort of, how are you doing, Camille? Uh, but I'll tell you. I'm doing very, very oh, well. God, here we go. I am uh, special super, I'm super yeah. excited to be here today because this is a major event, a milestone. Yeah, it is. One of my favorite people in the entire universe. Mm. Um, a, a philosophy nerd, a mm. physics nerd, mother to Lotus and Pele, wife to uh, oh, just a champion right snowboard and entre- champion snowboarder and entrepreneur, media, media pioneer, pioneer. legend. Beautiful, extraordinary, brilliant, I mean, and talented. Let's calm it down a little bit. The incomparable, <laughs> the gorgeous, the spectacular. Charlie Gasparino. <laughs> Kennedy, what's up, girl? What's Kennedy! How you doing, baby? Yeah. What's up, girl? I was trying so hard not to laugh during okay. that intro. That's okay. It's all true. Very sweet. That These are all facts. Sweet. These are all facts. It is very wonderful kind. to have you here. Thank you. Uh, because we have spent so much time together uh, doing another thing. That's right. Um, Many other the, things. Th- yeah. Three of us in the room. Yeah. And, oh and, and another guy. He also showed up every once in a while. Um, but also Weekly, because. Right, Michael? Weekly. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. That was almost nightly. That was pretty the good. Uh, yeah, uh, on yeah. Tuesdays we would do it twice. Yeah, I know. Wait, are we guys. talking about the sex again? Because <laughs> this is inappropriate to disclose on the podcast. Yeah, because my wife is completely unaware. Of I just want to say, things. just uh, before we get back to that, because Matt did uh, indicate that somebody on Twitter said, um, "I really like the show and um, love to listen to it in the car with um, my children." Yeah, and, when and, we're driving. And fam- yeah, family. Yeah, when we're driving houses. to Canada or whatever. Yeah. 
could you please not swear? Yeah, yeah, legally. Of yeah. course, of course, yeah. Quebecois uh, separatists that they are. <laughs> and I, and I, uh, stupidly. Because I was in a very generous mood, said, "Yeah, yeah, I, I can try to do that. That'd be, that'd be a good thing." And I think the first word that I said was a was a naughty, naughty word. Yeah. And I apologize. Maybe we'll take that out in post. Can we? Do no, that? no, we're, no, we're not going to do oh, that. Oh, come shit. on! Because I, I dishonest. No, we, I know it'd be dishonest, meant... but I, I feel bad because I wanted you this don't person. Feel bad. To, you no. don't. Have, first of all, you don't have a conscience. I, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Second of all, you're one of the world's great liars. So. Um, I mean, I don't know how good I am. I mean, volume-wise, that's certainly true. But I don't know. Skill is maybe the, a little the Allen Iverson of lies. And why would? <laughs> we want to like defang uh, Kennedy from the opportunity to work blue. Oh that's my what god, she wants she's to do. filthy. I mean, oh goodness, people, she's like the mom's people mate, out there yeah. in in the world. Uh, the you know uh, on television they record everything, even mm. when they're not recording everything, right? Mm. So like the stuff that you don't see is on what was the channel? Like channel ninety three internally at uh, at Fox. You could some you could like toggle through the station. We found that out the the hard way. We were actually just toggling through and saw Charles Payne one day <laughs> in moments that he didn't realize that, that he was being recorded. We we it, we came to the horrific realization that in fact we were also yeah. a part of the same unwitting broadcast to anyone else in the building who wanted to watch the independence. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, different people work through their I'm just messed up this yeah. pre-taped segment in different <laughs> sure. ways. Yeah. And Kennedy's yeah. ways are <laughs> colorful. Very, yeah. very colorful. Yeah. Colorful, yeah. Does it does Inspiring. it like when does it make do you get the next take better like when you loudly uh, deny the Holocaust like as a response? I mean, <laughs> that I, never I just always happened. thought that was weird. That's that you do advice. Yeah, you said <laughs> you said I do because I'm not a horrible person. <laughs> You like, said you know. the numbers are a little high. So what are you talking about? It's actually true, by the way. This is a Why do you internal... yell at Ava Braun every time you mess that? I mean, well, I yell that out in a number of situations. <laughs> uh, this is actually true. At, at Fox on a particular show a long time ago, it was caught on that broadcast channel where everything's going, that I had made a joke um, that was a little blue and um, somebody heard it. Somebody in the, the sort of control room, brain room, or whatever it is. And we blamed it on Gavin McGinnis. Ah, uh, no, that was not. That was not. No, that was not. Yeah, and that was on air. Um, <laughs> and the, a person there, uh, it was right around the time of the Fox Mole. Do you remember the Fox oh, yeah. Mole? Oh, yeah. Uh, a great, yeah, a great, uh, like, uh, fail that was. The guy was like, you know, the bathrooms are really dirty at Fox. That yeah. was his yeah, big, what a, what a revelation. Was, yeah, uh, Joe uh, something or other. But exactly how it should be, just forgotten about. And mm-hmm. um, somebody had got in touch with somebody from the program and said, I heard Moynihan and one of the hosts of this program making these jokes. I taped it. This is actually true. Somebody said, I taped it and I'm going to go to Gawker with it. This is somebody internally who had said this. Mm. Um, and uh, they did not do it because we were very nervous. Um, it was like we were clearly joking, but I think it was like Nazi jokes or something. I don't, I don't uh, remember. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't racial. It wasn't anything like that. But it was That's still surprise, just like thing, thing, <laughs> thing that you don't want to And then we realized like who could have heard that at the same time while they were taping it? So then realized that this was a bit of a bluff. Um, and never knew what the reason for this was of what, yeah. why somebody. But there were, it's, you know. Is it Jonah Lair? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't I figure could, out I why this person would want to do this. But yeah. but anyway, yeah. yeah. It, they don't do that. It used to, you used to be able to catch that stuff on satellite. Do you remember uh, what's yeah, his name? Yeah, they don't feed. They don't do that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer yeah. used to do he, that. He yeah. had a whole segment about that, but there was a. Yeah. There was a movie called Feed, which got um, embarrassing moments from people like Ross Perot and Bill Clinton yeah. when he was running for president in 1992. Yeah. 
and uh, George H.W. Bush. And um, at the time, it was legal to catch those transmissions, but then yeah, a, a court right. cited against them. Yeah, because there, that, that's in Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9/11 movie. Yeah, that's the best stuff. That's it's like, has, uh, like Paul John Wolfowitz. Uh, what well, has Paul Wolfowitz like spitting in his hands? Is and, that like, W flipping the bird? And from that, I think as so well. too. There's yeah, a couple of very good iconic. Ones. Yeah. The best, best Whenever very people iconic think movie. that they're not being recorded, yeah, which is the great thing about millennials is not only do they know they're always being recorded, they offer it up. Yeah, it's true. You're proud. They're yeah, proud. yeah. They're proud. yeah. No, every moment's some, a Rodney King moment. There is some. There is some very dark. <laughs> some very dark yeah. footage there. Yeah, you are Matt. Matt is the Stacy Coons of this uh, of this table, right? Stacy Coons. Remember, but, he had the lateral. List. Oh yeah, he, he did. did. He, he, That's right. Stacey, no, he did. And it was it was the Lord's cruelest joke yeah. that he's yeah. ever played on a member of the LAPD. Stacy Coons yeah. actually had yeah. a lateral list, and yeah. I remember thinking, like, yeah. you poor bastard. Yeah. Like, not only are you considered to be yeah. the poster child for law enforcement racism. Yeah, but you also have a speech impediment totally. that everybody, makes your name sound ridiculous. Well, everyone sp- remembers him, but nobody knows. Like Matt actually got a very small tattoo, and he's an LA guy, really into it, of Timothy Wind. <laughs> so I don't remember know. Timothy Wind was one of the other cops. I don't know. I don't know the name, but <laughs> but it's a great Graham Parsons song. I, I, don't, I don't know. Idiot. Wind. I don't know. There, there are obscure pop culture references. Right, sorry, I, I warned of sorry. that. Um, but, uh, you know, part of the reason, another reason why it's so spectacular to have you here, Kennedy, is yes. because your husband, Dave Lee, is actually the one who suggested that we do this thing. Totally true. So we That's are true, yeah. enormously grateful for all yeah. of your many contributions to the fifth. <laughs> no, I, I know when, when he's listening to the show because yeah. he listens to it on his phone and he uh-huh. walks around our apartment with headphones on laughing <laughs> and I yeah. know exactly yeah. what he's doing yeah. and so he'll be he'll be either cleaning up or kind of picking up the dishes or yeah. working on his computer and he'll have to stop and laugh <laughs> into his hand good because something's happening and then he tries to explain it to me yes and uh, it, yes. it's always some jackassery that involves Moynihan oh, yes no. there's, there's usually a lot it's of that and, and I suspect there'll be some today so what we could do it's really hard like, they can't you can't, I don't get paid because you can't fire me uh, well no I, I mean you probably could. I want you here, and I want to. I want to pay you enormous sums of money as well. But but want to and will are not the same thing. Um, so uh, there, there are this. things happening in the news. It is it really? is nearing the end of the year. We we should perhaps discuss uh, some of this uh, news cycle business. Um, I did exchange emails with you guys, or at least I sent one, and and I don't know if anyone else knows what's coming. But uh, we're nearing the end of the uh, Obama presidency. Yes, we are. These are uh, dark days ahead. Mm-hmm. The uh, Trump administration is getting ready to take control. The the journalos across America have bifurcated their attention between two two sets of uh, narratives. One set of narratives are are taking a look at the Obama administration, looking backwards lovingly, mm. just thinking about all of the things that we are losing as Camelot fades into the darkness again. Right. Oh. This is even darker than the Kennedy assassination. I mean, mm. this is worse. Um, and then what? there's the other. Well, I'm according I'm, to whom? I'm talking about the journalists, like their yeah, sentiments. Yeah. Their sentiments. I'm expressing. Did you, expi- their did you explain to Kennedy if what, she a, journal what a journalo is? Oh, this is a Camille Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I like, figured this it was isn't... like a Politico yes. or a Gigolo. Well, it's, it's a, a, it's journal- a like a combination yeah. journalist Gigolo. Juggalo. It's like a Juggalo. Oh, yeah. So like an insane clown posse fan who also happens to have a legitimate media job. Well, I just refer to anyone with a legitimate media job. It's really not clear who's not us as a journalo. But journalo, it's just fun. We like. It's just not clear. And if you're kind of confused what a journalo is, it's just a girl's I'm a jackass I'm in showbiz. 
but before but before we get to wow. to the to the rhapsodizing about the Obama the administration and how amazing they were, uh, it is appropriate to spend some time with uh, Mr. Donald Trump uh, because there are any number of sort of dark, thoughtful, speculative pieces about virtually every dimension of the Trump administration and everything he is doing from his uh, cabinet appointments to his tweets uh, to the meetings he is having at uh, Trump Tower with celebrities and politicians. And today um, we are recording this on a Wednesday, a bunch of Silicon Valley executives. I've got zero idea what news happened, but what I wouldn't have given to be a a fly on the wall there. Um, I I wanted to perhaps sort of take a look at this landscape and, uh, and, and poll you find folks uh, on what's happening. But of course, the most important thing that's happened this week is that Donald Trump met with one Kanye West mm-hmm. yeah. that's at right. Trump Tower. Um, mm-hmm. we, we do have um, some some audio from that amazing, amazing meeting. Um, so I'll, I'll play it. Really that was amazing. Hi, no comment about your meeting with the president-elect. The president-elect of the United States, nothing to say? I just want to take a picture right now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, just, just yeah. insightful. Yeah. And powerful. He um, has this smile in that too. He looks like he's on Klonopin or something. Like, <laughs> huh, I, I wonder take, why. I just want to take a picture. Huh, that's weird. What you? Th- I don't think he's ill. Kanye. I think, Kanye I think he's. I think America just doesn't understand. Okay, him. so Gavin McInnes made a really funny point mm. on uh, on my show, which I, was. I hope it's not besmirching uh, Kanye West. No, actually, okay, not at all. It was. Good. It was very funny because he said, of all the things that Kanye West has said and done, and all all the crazy things and talking about, uh, you know. Beyonce and Jay-Z maybe having people executed and, you know, taking an award out of Taylor Swift's hands and being called a jackass by the president and all the diatribes that he's gone on over the years. Why can't I? Every single concert. Um, Yeah. And then he comes out and sort of vaguely implies that perhaps if he had voted, he would have voted for Trump and he's carted off on a gurney to a mental institution (laughs) essentially against his will. (laughs) Like of all the things he's done, coming out saying anything even slightly pro-Trump and he's taken to a rubber room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was that was George Gavin Bush after after he had a, had abruptly canceled the uh, balance oh my gosh his... I forgot about that and yeah. uh, the best part about that was that Mike was the Myers. the, the, the Myers. was yeah. was Mike Myers reaction oh my gosh. yeah yeah because he was it, it terrified was, he was terrified he was it, it his that career was like, has not recovered who Mike, Mike Myers, Myers from that moment well he also did the Love Guru which is probably one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made but you know. But yeah, that frozen uh, like him and like I think I think if you watch the full thing, it like pans out and like Chris Kattan is vomiting or something. But there's a <laughs> there's like a shocked Adam look on bottom. his face. Oh and then God. Myers tries to go back into the prompter as if that's gonna. Fix yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. It's like do the Scottish accent. Yeah, just read the movie words. <laughs> that's great. Completely, completely shocked and uh, and dumbfounded as Kanye like continues on the tirade. But um, uh, but Camille, the, the, this, you stop asking the questions at this moment. You yeah. are you are on planet. You are wearing. A a Yeezus tour hoodie, I think, or it's a, sweatshirt. Not a, it's a sweatshirt. It's a sweatshirt. sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, you know, you know. Yeah, it's authentic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad that it's not counterfeit. No, we don't play those games. You know, you know. crawl into uh, Yeezus's mind uh, here. What's going on? I've got zero to say about it. I think he said all we need to know. Um, he did tweet um, after the meeting, uh, and he talked about all of the the issues of great importance to him. He said, um, "I feel it's important to have a direct line of communication with our future president if we truly want change." What about these those issues of us who include want change, bullying and supporting teachers, modernizing curriculums, and Chicago and violence in Chicago? But all of those, if you take those apart, those are all actually. 
very valid concerns. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't know if they're bullying. valid concerns no, for the bullying president. is very smart because that's Melania's pet project. Oh, is so it? if you want a direct line <laughs> to the president's <laughs> heart, is. Is you there? start with bullying because the president yeah. goes, "Oh, Melania is totally into that. Come on, yeah, in. yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, whatever you're into." Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like modernizing curriculum. Like that doesn't really mean anything, but it yeah. sounds great. Sounds His amazing. kids are going to go to school at some yeah. point. You know, he's, <laughs> and then he talks about violence in Chicago. I don't think that the president or the mayor of Chicago have satisfactually addressed. The- you don't think well, Rahm Emanuel no has no uh, done a good job of making his city, city eastern Aleppo as opposed <laughs> oh to God. western Aleppo? I mean, it's un- like Chirac doesn't even describe it these days because Iraq is relatively calm. I mean, no, this, nothing is done. This is the amazing thing no, they're, about they're, they're if, you say, if you say Bashar the right Bashar al-Assad in charge of Chicago. Yeah, I mean, to, to probably be a better than having Rahm Emanuel at this point. But this is the thing that's really frustrating is that this is the, 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 the history of the past 100 years of cities run by Democratic mayors, provided you say the right things, provided you say, you know, we've talked about this with the Black Panthers. It's, you know, my school breakfast vision of how to get away with murder. Is you you say we give kids breakfast and then you slit people's throat and everyone's fine? Everyone will say you know Hamas has a great after school program, but you know they yeah may they be say to... the same thing about El Chapo. It, I mean honestly, it's like you know John Gotti gave away turkeys. Yeah. It, there's there's uh-huh. a there's a political version of that which is as long as you mouth the right platitudes and you say I would never cut the education budget, charter schools are you know wreaking havoc, blah 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 blah, and you have the results that they have in Chicago. No one says boo. They might say a lot about Chicago, which is true, but it's dis embodied from the political environment. Nobody talks about the, this policies being enacted or not being enacted by Ron Emanuel. But if that were the case, if it was Ron Blagojevich, yeah. if it was anyone else, we would be holding this person's feet to the fire and, and you know, driving a stake. No, but instead they're talking about him running for president. Exactly. Yeah, there has been some conversation about about, Ron, a lot. about Ron Emanuel um, in the context of Chicago's uh, myriad failures. I think the fact that he shows up at funerals and cries and seems yeah. to be deeply affected. I think yeah, he, showed up, quite... he showed up when the White Sox or Cubs, who was in the World Series? Cubs. Cubs. Yeah. When the yeah. Cubs won the World Series, he was there with his nine fingers, you know, high-fiving yeah. everyone. Yeah. He's got nine fingers? Yep. Is he like he's like the Tony Iommi of uh, of, no, of exactly uh, right? Thank you. Yeah. It was, wasn't, it, wasn't like an IDF thing. You can't. Like he you being, can't. Uh, he was being badass in Israel and and uh, lost a finger. That was his dad. No, I think Ooh. it was an industrial accident. Really? No, I think actually it was. A... Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, look I, that, I think I bet, yeah. I bet, Rom, uh, I bet Rom cares. In fact, I suspect most of these people like actually care about some of these issues. It might, might be a no, consequence but, of not having, but not to, having any solutions. Or to Moynihan's to point questions. is that that we don't judge them on their track record. We no. judge them on the, what they talk about. Yes. And this is probably leapfrogging what we'll be talking about later. But uh, in many ways. For me, like one of the most distressing parts on the left half. He had his finger on a meat slicer at Arby's. Yeah, it's the same. It was much closer In Israel. (laughs) No, it wasn't. In Arby's in Haifa. We got the meat. It was in high school. You you were saying that one of the- (laughs) Not Haifa, but high school. One of uh, (laughs) of the most distressing moments early on on the Democratic primary was when uh, a lot of people associated with Black Lives Matter got super excited because Hillary answered the question, do black lives matter in a way that they found more uh, copacetic than the way in the moment at like a public event, Bernie Sanders answered that question, do black lives matter? Yeah, and then yeah. he was bum rushed by yeah. the Seattle contingent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there were four people out of 40,000 yeah. in the crowd. And but if you're, has, sitting, has if you're sitting there and, scoring and himself recently. taking a, someone who's been in politics and in position of power for 30 years in one way or, uh, or another and who has been like a really shitty, tough-on-crime nightmare person for the vast majority of her career um, and 
oh, I like the way that she was able to poll test this one answer, and that's good enough. It's it's all about the record doesn't matter. Doesn't it, matter. It's just did you but figure out a way to fix? Okay, to, but that's what that's what Bernie Sanders was saying. Uh, after the Donald Trump rally on MSNBC was the reason Donald Trump won was because of PC culture, was because of these poll-tested lines that are completely inauthentic and disingenuous and so incredibly safe. And people who were sick of being the victim of identity politics uh, push back against it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then when Bernie Sanders said that, which I think was a, a very honest depiction of the campaign that he was a part of, People then called him a white supremacist. Yeah, and I and I want to come back to that. Actually, <laughs> I'm you sorry, know, but the, the, the idea that, that like a white supremacist well, is like a stooped over like Jewish guy who lives in Vermont. Well, we have to we have to we have to, dis- oh, we have to disentangle believe. that. But let's come back to it. Let's come back to it because we have to disentangle that because that's not what they meant. Um, no, but I, but I but I but we'll come back is. to that. It's not. But but at any rate, <laughs> conti- they're, they're, let's just stick to Trump for a minute, and then we'll come back to this because that, that's not what they meant. And, and I'm skeptical of those Nothing people, and I don't like them. Nothing sticks to Trump. He's mean. like Kevlar. Um, well, some of this stuff may stick or to him. Or Teflon. Maybe. Um, but there, there have been – so the continued conversations, we, we've been hearing a lot uh, of conversations about Trump uh, and his conflicts of interest on account of his many business dealings uh, and the job of the presidency, whether or not he could do that well. Um, there are people speculating about whether or not he uh, may in fact be – completely broke or at least broke on paper to the extent that he can't actually disentangle himself from his businesses because mm-hmm. he will not be able to financially. Um, CNN yesterday uh, scrutinizing the Trump candidate uh, appointments, talking about the uh, exceptional whiteness of them mm-hmm. uh, and the shape of their genitalia and how it appears to be pre- pretty nice. uniform. What shape well, is well, Ben Carson's mostly genitalia? That they're men. Yeah, what shape mostly is that Elaine Chow's genitalia? Yeah. The, Don't answer that. <laughs> racist. The, the headline of the article being uh, white and male, uh, this big, bold image um, and the article does, of course, talk about and scrutinize the the shape and shade of their genitalia, uh, but does eventually get around to talking about their political perspectives and oh, their philosophical things, which seems important. Um, and I mean, at, at the bottom of all of this, I think, though, is sort of people's endless ability to sort of project their worst fears and greatest nightmares on Donald Trump. And I, I had to make notes on this because there are so many of these competing things. But it's kind of amazing that Donald Trump is simultaneously the idiot white supremacist who's masterfully steering the media with incoherent dog whistles, deftly employing fake news in innovative new ways to enchant voters, distract the media from his real plans, exterminate all Muslims, enrich the Russians while building a new Trump tower in every capital city on earth. Hmm. All of these things are simultaneously true. Um, Except a lot of these things are starkly at odds with one another. Um, And and I don't know. I I laid a bunch of stuff out there on the table. You can respond to whatever pieces of it you want. I I keep wondering, though, about this, like, conflicted Donald Trump narrative um, and Rex... uh, Is it Tillerson? Tillerson. It's Tillerson, Tillerson, the uh, big oil executive from uh, Exxon who is coming on as secretary of state. Both of these men are supposed to be deeply conflicted. Um, Is there concern amongst yeah, of course the folks there, in the room I mean about but there should be there should be I mean yeah, the secretary of state I mean obviously we can't do the whataboutism of saying well Hillary Clinton was incredibly qualified on paper and she did a unbelievably bad job that's true and you know kind of ideologically it was kind of predestined that she'd do a bad job Okay, and she told us she'd do a bad job. I mean, that uh, you know, walking into the Kremlin with a reset button that was misspelled that was in Russian. I mean, was. God. I mean, you can't. There's like, an app that you can like take a photograph and it tells you if it's right. Um, so that, 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 that said, that said, I mean, he is 
um, supremely unqualified for the job of Secretary of State of being the top of the diplomat in a world that has had a very, very bad month. And I mean, you think of, you know, TPP and the, the collapse of, of free trade agreements. We think of what's happening right now in Aleppo. I was just in Europe for a couple of weeks and everywhere you go, every single policy conversation in Europe is ultimately about Syria. And it's ultimately about the war in Afghanistan. If someone is talking to you about an upcoming election, they're talking about health care costs, they're talking about Syria and Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, it's about the wars, it's about the refugees. Well, it's about the refugees. Okay. So essentially, refugees what and migrants. What about the collateral damage caused by Russia and Syria? That, I mean, I mean look, being, being so, I, I don't know if it's clumsy or it's lazy or it's uh, homicidal. But whatever the case, it's, it's like it, it's almost impossible Curious. for us to insert ourselves. Yeah, it's too. I mean, into the, that. Can't. Mm-hmm. Nothing I mean, you can do. And, and that's point. like I'm, that yeah. one city and yeah. the fallout from the bombing in Aleppo is almost like a microcosm for what's happening in the Middle East uh, writ large. And it's it's just a great case for the United States not to be involved in any of it. I, I think that right now, like Europeans are having this conversation right now that what what is the cost of inaction? Because the cost of inaction for them is is a kind of revanchist and and uh, you know sort of plumped up and newly aggressive Russia, who has asserted itself on the world stage now like they haven't done since you know 1979 when they invaded Afghanistan, especially in Europe, especially in Europe. And I'm talking specifically about Europe because I was I was just there. But it's also this idea that if we ignore these things going on in the Middle East and and keep our hands off, we end up dealing with you know five million, six million refugees who are now draining the coffers of every state government, and we can't do it anymore. I will push back on a couple things, though. One is that the thing about Rex Tillerson, there is a problem with people who think too much about foreign policy, and we see this in the Bill Crystals of the world. We see this in the sort of John Boltons of the world, the AEIs, and people that are cloistered in their little K Street offices, planning out how foreign policy is going to work and how the reconstruction of Iraq is going to work. That obviously turned out to be a farce and turned out that these people didn't understand anything about the culture that they were disrupting, right? It was already disrupted by Hussein, but they're disrupting a lot more. There is the opposite of that, too, of not knowing anything coming in and it is, is also a dangerous possibility. When you are going into a situation where you don't know, and this is from behind, leading from behind, even if you're not using force, it doesn't mean you don't have to use smart power. It doesn't mean that you just back away totally. And if you don't know the difference between the Sunnis and Shias and you know Iran's new power sort of seeping into Syria, etc., that's also problematic. I, I, I'm worried. So, for instance, Donald Trump goes and makes, makes a call to the Taiwanese president. Doesn't really understand that he's violating you Co- know, pro- 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 protocol. Maybe he does. But that's that's just it. There have been. There I don't think. I don't think. I that. don't think he did. And the thing is, is that the ripple effects, and all of a sudden, the South China Sea in the past couple of days, the Chinese military is sending. Out, I mean, there there has been an actual response from the Chinese. So you know, even just making a phone call can have this ripple effect. I worry about some of the. And also, look, the other thing to say about this is if John Bolton is actually in the running for secretary of state, if Rudy Giuliani is obviously no longer now, was in the running for secretary of state, how does anyone trust that this man has a consistent idea about how American foreign policy should run? Because these people are both hawkish towards Russia. I think that uh, that he has used, whether by design, and I think it's probably design or just by uh, uh, effect, yeah. he has used the secretary of state process pretty brilliantly to kind of quash – 
uh, Republican and conservative opposition to the Trump presidency. And to troll the hell out of Mitt Romney. And, I mean, that was, troll that, the hell that, out of everyone. That was, especially, I the Mitt Romney part I was, have to tell you, I was like, he's never getting this. Yeah, he's going to wine and dine him. He's going to walk in front of all the cameras. Yeah. He's going to get his hopes up. Yeah. And it's just like, I compared I think it to Ted that. Bundy. <laughs> Ted Bundy was... Um, he was thwarted by his ex-girlfriend, who Ted, he loved Ted Bunny, deeply. The, the murderer, the murderer, yeah. And uh, and so and he killed pretty much every woman in his life, but this woman. Yeah. Mm. And so the goal, <laughs> the, the goal of his existence was to win her back. Oh, and yeah. he, he, it took him so much work, and he had to wear her down, and he had to finesse it and sweet talk her. And finally, he worked his way back into her life to the point where <laughs> she was helpless to his charms, mm. and she fell in love with him. And that's exactly what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Just so he could completely break her heart and walk away and leave her life in a shambles, just so he could cause her more pain mm-hmm. than she caused him. So you're saying that Donald Trump is the Ted Bundy of presidents? <laughs> we don't, all, we all don't I'm know yet. Now is like a, is a new roadmap for how I'm going to conduct my life. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. We don't know yet. That's, Look, that's I, right. Wait, I was oh, talking. I'm sorry. Damn you. I didn't mean. I didn't mean. To, uh, go ahead. Uh, no. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, actually, it was. Uh, Standing with uh, at, at on Kennedy show, John Bolton was on, and Camille, I know you love John Bolton. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes. He's rolling his eyes so aggressively uh, here. John Bolton made a point that um, was uh, kind of interesting to uh, Michael's point of view, which is that uh, look, Tillerson has been in the same company for 41 years. He doesn't know anything about the State Department, which can be a very good thing. Mm-hmm. But if you have too much naivete to go into a giant regulatory bureaucracy, your chances of being captured, of trying to please the existing system is a little bit high and dangerous. And at a time when there is uh, – Vladimir Putin is a malevolent actor. There was a really good television show on Fox Business Network in which he was declared, if I'm not mistaken, the number one enemy of freedom on the, on this planet. And, I mean, he – took a big chunk of the Ukraine and still is trying to malevolently affect the world. So in a, in a time when you have a president-elect who is naive about foreign policy, he might have very good instincts on occasion on foreign policy. So I'm not saying that everything that... But he done, doesn't we, have we really a, a coherent, know. well-rounded political philosophy when it comes to foreign policy. Yes, and he certainly doesn't have an, a, a big existing knowledge base. And so when you are walking in as more of a blank slate with some instincts... Um, and not just the president-elect, but potentially the secretary of state, even though he's pretty well-informed as yeah. a uh, guy. But still, he'd be the least experienced secretary of state – don't interrupt me uh, – in at least 150 years. That's, to me, problematic in the face of someone who is a malevolent actor on the world stage. And that's I, what I, I worry they, about. Well, well I was just going to offer up the, the following. I mean – we, we keep talking about how he doesn't have this experience. He doesn't have diplomatic experience in the context of the State Department. The guy has run one of the most, one of the hugest, multinational, biggest uh, uh, corp- corporations on the planet Correct. in the history of the universe. I would, I would argue that he has an army of people who work for him. The, the truth of the matter is, I think his qualifications to actually engage with a man who he knows and various other people with who, who he knows um, and has a sophisticated relationship with, I suspect, given the amount of business that they've conducted to, I think that that argument 
doesn't really pass the smell test. And perhaps there are significant differences. Okay, between but I think he's an adversary. He's an adversary. But I want to find, I wanna find a, a, a little bit of a, a midline here in between you. Yeah. Because um, in one regard, the, the guy who wrote the biography on Exxon said that Exxon, because it's such a massive multinational corporation, functions as a quasi-state. Uh-huh. It's actually, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It's, it's more yeah. powerful yes. and multi-tentacled more so than many countries on the planet. And because of that, as a CEO, he would know where every hot spot on the globe is based on where you can buy, sell, and extract Absolutely. oil. He has and, a financial and that is something incentive to know in, that. Incredible. But beyond financial, I mean, his his geographic knowledge is much greater than someone like Hillary Clinton, whom I would argue was very underqualified to be Secretary of State. Um, but the other thing, to Matt's point, is, you know, it, it's, it's great to be a good negotiator. It's great to be an anti-interventionist. It's wonderful to have uh, peace be the ultimate goal because you know it's it's a better way of conducting transactions than through war or anything else. But my problem is if there's someone who comes up and maybe it's Putin who acts like a Slobodan Milosevic, how is he going to deal with that person? Because you can't make deals with psychopaths. You cannot apply rational instincts and behavior to irrational people and expect to get satisfaction. You know, and look, and we, and we tried to make uh, a deal with Vladimir Putin with the reset. And there actually, there, there's a lot to that, too. That was a pretty complicated and, and thing. Yeah, and W2. Yeah, exactly. W2. That, that wasn't uh-huh. the first time. And, and, and I, I, I worry that, you know, when you have a guy who is quite pally and chummy with Vladimir Putin, that I think that even the idea of making a deal will, will, will be something that, you know, be thrown out the window. I, I mean, look, the, the weird thing about uh, what happens in, in American foreign policy is that remember in 2000, remember when George Bush ran for president? I mean, remember, he ran as an anti-interventionist. George Bush said that the, the what happened in the Balkans, what was happening in Kosovo, this sort of KLA, all this stuff was uh, nonsense and we have to bring America home. Yeah. Remember this? Uh, McCain yeah, was yeah, his opponent and McCain was the, the humble, most, humble foreign, the humble foreign policy. policy. Crucial and then all of a sudden something happened. Right? Whom they tried to paint as a liberal. Yes. And, and, some, and something happened, right? I don't remember what happened, but something happened about a year later. And then all of a sudden, all that went out the window. The thing about people who put a lot of faith in Donald Trump being an anti-interventionist or being somebody who wants to bring America home in the way that George Bush said it, or even something in a more of a kind of libertarian isolationist way, isolationist, non-interventionist way, is that, yeah. is that, well, you're an isolationist. The I'm other ones, you're an isolationist. You are the, you're like black Charles Lindbergh. That is you're, ridiculous. <laughs> you're black I'm, Lindbergh. I'm not the um, least yeah, black. Yeah, somebody's going to steal your is baby. Is Blindberg? Yeah, you're Blindberg, <laughs> and a German's going to steal your baby and kill it. Oh, so, oh, that was so sad. Story was, of the century. Yeah, Bruno mm-hmm. Hauptmann. Uh, you know, free Bruno. Uh, yeah, you have that tattooed on your shoulder. <laughs> I do. I do. It's in German, too. Freie Bruno. Uh, so <laughs> the thing is, something. if so something messy. happens... In within six months, uh-huh. a man who is so agitated by the smallest things, a man who will bring Mitt Romney in just to shame him. Mm. Can you imagine him? Imagine him pivoting in the same way that George Bush pivoted after nine eleven, and not only became wait, a sort the, of defensive the, president, but somebody who actively decided to invade wait, Iraq. Wait, was it, are you, are we saying that the that the pivot was good or bad? I'm just saying, <laughs> no, well, no, 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 listen I'm just saying a pivot can happen. Like when yeah. you have somebody who doesn't have a really core set of principles, when you have somebody who's vacillating between John Bolton and somebody who might be, you know, Lou Rockwell or something, right. when, when you're in that point and you have somebody who's so unstable, I mean, George Bush was bang, bang, bang in 2000 on one message. 
uh, one major, major, major foreign policy or major event happened, terrorism event in 9-11. And then everything that when I tell people that George Bush ran on that platform, they yeah. don't believe me. Okay, no, but, how but much they Barack re- Obama didn't have that moment. And he he governed he did switch gears. in a complete totally. uh, yeah. contrarily to how he There was some ran. people that predicted that, I though. Mean, he, he ran Lake, as someone who was, yeah. who was going to yeah. defend and protect civil liberties. Yeah. Yeah. And he was as bad on he, domestic sure. spying as totally. his predecessor. And, I and there were a all... lot of people. You remember Eli Lake, our, our friend, yeah. and, and we all know Eli uh, and wrote a, great a piece. Rapper. And a great rapper. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, he wrote a piece for the New Republic back when that was a real magazine, a cover story of, uh, before uh, the inauguration um, uh, about um, what was it Obama's Reag- Reaganite foreign policy, and he put together from all the things that he said that look, there's a couple of levels operating here. He's throwing bones to the to the people that are the of the old kind of Chicago social justice community organizer crowd, and to the mainstream liberals, and he's also saying to the kind of realists and the kind of foreign policy centrists of the Brookings kind of variety, that, hey, I'm not going to be like that. And Eli threaded those together before he became president. And there was actually some indication with him. George Bush, there was none. And I think that, that, that Trump, the hard thing is trying to make sense of what he believes. And you can typically do that through the people they pick. There's usually some variety and say you want to do this kind of Doris Kearns Goodwin, team of rivals, Lincoln thing. Sure, that exists to, to, to some extent. But his are so schizophrenic that I wonder not only what he believes, but what what kind of major can event. I, can could, I just say, sure. I, I think that his picks are purely intuitive. Yeah. I think that he feels that his intuition and his gut yeah. has gotten him this far. And, and I do believe and that, right, that whether sense. it's Mike Pence or Jared Kushner, that they give him a list of questions and, and and things to look for with every potential candidate, and he asks them these things, and he compares yeah. their answers. and And I don't know anything about this, but I'm I'm guessing this. And then based on how they respond, the look in their eye, and how he feels when he's talking to them. But the one thing, and Matt and I were talking about John Stossel uh, about this with John Stossel on his final show, which which is going to air on the Fox Business Network. Shout out to um, John Stossel. That's right, and and thank you. So Stossel. you're saying Vladimir Putin wants to invade Crimea? <laughs> no, what what you can make the case that he is he is nominating people yeah. who hate the agencies they're going to run. In, in some and, cases. and Rick There's Perry is another one. Yeah. Betsy DeVos hates teachers unions. Yeah. And she's going to run the Department of Education. She wants more school choice. Tom Price hates the ACA and has spent six years trying to figure out how to get rid of Obamacare. He's going to run Health and Human Services. Yeah. Ben Carson has talked about the cycle of dependency and how embarrassed he was as a child to be on food stamps and have government housing, and he's going to run housing and urban development. And I mean, there's something like, maybe this will be a massively failed experiment but for libertarians, for people who despise the agencies that are going to run. That is so chaotic. They should prepare to be very disappointed if they It's so funny, by the way, all the happen. people that are saying this and are pointing it out as if they've just figured out a joke. I, I'm sorry, this has happened to me, you know, 10 times in the past week. They're like, oh my God, like, he appoints people that like want to destroy, like Rick Perry couldn't even name it and he wanted to destroy it. I'm like, 
Yeah, that's the point. You don't realize that this is the point. Yeah. They, and the idea of like, can you believe it? He's running. It's like, well, yeah, if you listen to the, anything that any of these people have been saying, both the nominees and the actual uh, president-elect, it doesn't surprise me at all. But there's no chance whatsoever that any of these agencies disappear. Oh, God, um, no. But they may not disappear, <laughs> but that's not the point. But sure. imagine the influence that someone would have no, yeah. if they're looking around going, that's stupid. This sucks. No, this, I, think I mean, it's, the, like, it's like a minimalist going into a hoarder's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the tension could be super interesting interesting um to watch play out um for sure um and and i think a lot of the conversation that we've had um about um just the uh the the way in which he's chosen the cabinet picks is is super interesting as well um to to pivot back to the to the sort of new mccarthyism and particularly concerns about russia crimea ukraine obviously like a very significant thing i do wonder if you give Russia a little bit of room to operate like you back away if you are critical of NATO and you give them some space in which to do things is there a genuine concern I'm looking directly at you Matt Welch that he takes that, Estonia that he, yes. yes that he takes Estonia yes, and yes he will take places. Estonia and, yes. and, and, and if Camille if, Foster runs American foreign policy <laughs> Estonia is no longer okay, a free yeah. country okay so and in order to prevent that from happening yeah. like how far would we go like how many American war. lives do we with a nuclear risk? power? Yeah, we go to war, and we would win very quickly because Russia is not actually a first-rate power of any sort. Yeah, which which perhaps I mean, maybe that's the reason army, why but you they've, they've still got nuclear, nuclear weapons. weapons pointed it's, it's at. True, us. it's true. And if and if Vladimir Putin wants to send, if anyone on this planet we don't wants have to an iron send, dome. and we don't, but if he wants to send a single nuclear bomb, he will. The, the his whole country will be annihilated. Yeah, Matt, he's not that crazy. Matt, I I. I understand, your position. I understand your position. I just wanted to put it out there. My position yeah. is I don't have a great deal of confidence in mutually assured destruction as a sort of policy position. Um, bad things happen sometimes. Are you saying and there's no such thing am, as a limited war? It's a lie we don't believe anymore? I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that there are risks. And for me, like the, the safety and security of Estonia is not my principal concern yeah it's and my, i, I and wake I up get, in the morning and, and i get I it you're allowed to have your fetishes that's fine i'm just saying that when it comes to u.s foreign policy i'm predominantly concerned about the safety and security of the united states and to the extent that you have to put it at risk for the sake of estonia and other stuff i, I start to get a little concerned about that so i just wanted to article five has only been used different once. perspectives We're uh, just putting it out there it's it nato is a successful it's it's a completely like batshit uh, like we mission creeped alliance, all that is totally true, uh-huh. and none of its members have been attacked by anyone. Yeah. Really, um, uh, since well, would it's, they have it's been if NATO didn't exist? Yes, yeah, I think maybe. So. Absolutely. I think there's yes. a maybe. couple of there's a couple of moments in in recent history oh. where, where that actually happened. Although the Soviets, but it was, I mean, I mean, even the Soviet, um, you know, allowing in after 1989. Allowing, um, you know, Ukraine to go independent, allowing, you know, Vilnius to to catch on fire. I mean, remember, uh, William Sapphire was the one that coined uh, the chicken Kiev speech Mm -hmm. when the Soviets were going to amble back into Kiev. And uh, George H.W. Bush said, you know, shrugged his shoulders. And and William Sapphire famously called that the chicken Kiev speech. But look, I think there's there are a number of points here there 
you know, in Estonia right now, by the way, there's these militias. Have you, have you seen these? The Estonian defense forces and women are That's joining good. them. All these they people should, are joining them. They should totally and, build those and, and things. No, I, they are. And they, they have and they're, no they're, choice. Good. They have no choice and because the threat is very real. Yeah. Good. And, you know, in, good, we're, talk, we're, we're talking the about. The threat is real. Good. I'm, I'm saying Camille. it's good that they are responding know, to the kidding. threat. But we're, 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 we're talking about, um, and we'll probably get to this. Um, a big is the mother of invention. A big story. Said Frank Zappa. Iron Dome. A big story in the New York, the New York uh, yeah. Times and in the Washington Post about the hacking of uh, John Podesta and the DNC mm. stuff. The first version of that that was a really, really big successful – there's been a number of previous ex- versions of this. But the first big successful version of that from the Russian perspective prior to the war with Georgia, which they invaded Georgia and gobbled up two territories, you know, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, uh, was Estonia. And why did the Russians launch a massive cyber attack, knocking Estonia as a country almost offline? And then subsequently, by the way, necessity being the mother of, of invention, uh, becoming one of the great cybersecurity countries in the world. They, you know, Skype is based there. A lot of these uh, antivirus software companies are based there. Because I think it was 2007 or 2008, they removed a Soviet war statue yes. in the center of Tallinn, which was, they said, no way. Because we were occupied by the Germans and then we were occupied by the Soviets and you guys were also brutal. We want this out of here. We took it out. Estonia, by the way, was the first country to have a libertarian head of state in the post-Cold War world. It was Mart Lahr, who is a big classical liberal and a big like Friedmanite. And he ran that country when he, he was 30 like years really old. He happy little troll. He looks like a munchie cheap. Frozen. Um, he's like a little munchie cheap Mart. And yeah, they have flat tax of like ten percent. It's an interesting country. Very two thousand seven. Is it like Russia, the Portugal of economics? It is like <laughs> except better, except better, and not full of Portuguese people. Uh, no offense to Portuguese people, I love them. I love them. Yeah, I no, no. I don't no, know if anyone take statement. offense. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I do actually. Um, I've never met them. But no, I mean, at that point, they, the Russians like took the country basically offline because they were affronted by a statue being removed. Mm. And it was like a massive cyber attack of like unparalleled size. I mean, mm. it was it was like the GRU was involved. The FSB was involved. I mean, it was like a big, big deal. And the Estonians from then, I mean, from 91 on, on forward, they've been terrified of this. But they've actually had a attack from the Russians on a, a sort of little taste of it. And then, of course, we get a, a bit of a taste of it now. And, and, and to, to, to pivot to, I know you wanted to talk about the, the – um, the DNC stuff and the the New York Times story. He wants to talk about Tanahis. I did. I'll say I'll say quickly that on what that is that dumb you got over there. It's it's really what? amazing to me that that there are so many Morbid. people, re- Republicans especially, mm. who now there. Did you see that the you Gov study of the? Oh no. my God. Public yeah. opinion on Russia. Do, do you want to go and we can do a separate show out there? Yeah. No. Well, they, so, so this is the thing. Chewing. No, it's it's we're fifty two. No. We're fifty two odd minutes in. I don't know if that's actually true on the ticker that people that have is. at home. Um, we'll, sure. we'll put a bunch of stuff at the front end. Yeah. Um, but so we've got some decisions to make. We can so continue. Like one hundred and fifty two. Yeah. We yeah. could we could continue to discuss the the various uh, dimensions of the uh, Russian United States situation. I, I'm interested in this. Um, or we could the uh, hacking things. We could issue. make a stop. No, it is, and and I think we should devote time and attention to it. Uh, perhaps today. What about perhaps the another uh, time. Julian Assange counterpart who says no? It was DNC insiders. Well, we should. Wasn't uh, Russians? Like I said, uh, we could talk about that. Or I think I think that's a possibility. About, I think if you say it's only Russia, then you're turning your back on everyone. Well, else. I'm not. I'm not speculating about that. About that thing just yet. I'm. I'm. I'm giving you one. I'm giving you an option to discuss either that. Or so we're going to a movie or Laser Floyd right now or identity politics stuff. Antonisi Coates's crazy um, 
extraordinary <laughs> longish I would have got a laser floyd piece yeah. <laughs> in the Atlantic way cheaper than a movie you, like oh, up at the Griffith and, Observatory yeah you can go to you can go to Griffith Park or OMSI for Portlanders and you can do oh, hand OMSI. stuff in the dark OMSI's awesome hand stuff in the dark is always fun um, <laughs> but I'm but I'm wondering which That's of the these thing. which of these topics we we travel to next. Do we? Do I we assume because uh, that I was cut off in mid thought that you want to go to Tony's. Yeah, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to assume that I am always just a guess. I'm always willing to or be back to Tommy Iommi. What's critical really of funny about about Camille Foster? And, and the thing is, this oh, never no. really comes out. We don't allow it to come out in the podcast. So it's a time that we unzip this fucker. And oops, wait, what oh, that's a, it's man. okay. It's okay. We've already broken. Yeah. What are you, the right. Cleavon Little of podcast? The, the, kid, the, kid, <laughs> the, kid, the kids are asleep in the it's car. It's whoa! It's whoa! <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what are we talking about now? We're talking about great cinema. Uh-huh. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, no, uh, Camille Foster hates Ta-Nehisi Coates with a passion that is so profound, and yet he's never been able to really express it in the broadcast. Media oh, no, I've done it. I've because, done it here. Yeah, but you get a, you get all tangled up. Like you're, it's 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 so pretty, much to bring process. I was pretty, artic- I was pretty articulate little, the last go round. Yeah, you know, yeah. a little Camille, why do people love Ta-Nehisi Coates so much? And and not not like why do they love him so much, but why do they speak of, of Ta-Nehisi in this with this reverence as if they're hearing something from you know, Shakespeare? It, it, because the name is difficult to pronounce, yeah. <laughs> and it seems multicultural, yeah. uh, which means something very. Different and much more interesting than you. Yes. So therefore, uh, people have to idealize it. So Frankie Johnson would, yeah, wouldn't know. have the no. same byline. No. Yeah. Probably not. I don't. He, he I have just no set idea. it up because uh, Camille's getting all bunchy. Obviously, is uh, that Tanahisi has a new uh, Atlantic <laughs> cover story. That What's he... up, bunchy? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! He's a famous he... uh, famous Black Panther killed an guy called Bunchy Carter. But go ahead. Yeah, that's is that's. That I don't know if that. Yeah, it was yeah. in L.A. Damn no, is it? No, no, it was in uh, Oakland. He has a new uh, cover story in the Atlantic. Can't spell Oakland without L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Called My Black, My President Was Black, right? Is well, that... the, the, the yeah. cover um, is uh, My President Was Black, which is a, a blatant ripoff of the uh, Jeezy um, and eventually the J- Jeezy-Nas collabo and mm-hmm. eventually the Jay-Z remix, which was better. Um, but not particularly good for Jay. What language is Camille speaking? Just Nas then? threatened to kill me he's in the uh, 1995. I've never liked voice. him. He yeah. is a, really? he's a scumbag, and he's dead to me. Of his, did uh, you say Illmatic was a piece of garbage? What did you do? No, I said that uh, West Coast hip hop was superior. Yeah, oh, well, at the right. at the time it was. Yeah, and yeah. Nas has made kind of sort of one good album. He's lame. I don't yeah. care what anyone else says about it. I don't yeah, care if no, Nas I mean, is listening. He's the, lame. The East Coast had Tim Dog. And apparently he That's threatened you. And you know Trevor what? Nas has very little street yes. credibility. F. Compton. No. No. I want to try to keep it clean. But uh, like, like the threat. Like, Tim got, Tim Doug's dead, by the way. What form was it? Like I'm going to get. I'm, we're going to go behind the backstop at three thirty. Or no, like, it was like you better watch your f and mouth because someone's going to put something in it. It's going to make you breathe no more. Wow. And what did Kennedy say? <laughs> I was like, what are you smoking? Because <laughs> he was smoking a cigar with some other substance other than tobacco. That's, it. that's the appropriate. J. That's the appropriate response. Don't be intimidated by him. Don't be intimidated. Yeah, you don't have to worry. You, we, we know people. He's like, then, we know people. He's like a preacher now, isn't he? Seal no, came not. by and gave me a hug. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kissed by the rose. Wow. Yeah. A kiss by, a kiss by the rose yes. would be a little different. <laughs> um, well, it sounds like we're going to talk to Tanahisi if we must. Amazing. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I've got no yeah. idea why anybody likes this guy. I don't. Um, really? There is a sort of the Church of Anti-Racism, which is uh, which has reached uh, great predominance in the United States. Mm-hmm. There are lots of complicated reasons why that's the case, but I, I want to focus on the merits of this 
piece or lack thereof, and I was able to make it through the first third. And this is something that will take you over an hour to read. Yeah. Um, because as people who have talked about how wonderful this is have, have mentioned, they, they were sort of ye- yelling and shouting and pounding desks throughout a reading of this. And by the end, they found themselves in tears. I had that response to this as well, but because it is so objectively bad. Um, and here's the first thing. When you spend so much time writing something like this, If you are cutting corners and caricaturing your opponent's perspectives, you should retire from journalism and writing and find something else to do. That is the best that this circus clown could muster. Mm. Um, What's worse is is the various places in which Ta-Nehisi wastes whole paragraphs doing all sorts of exorbitant name-dropping. And I imagine consulting thesauruses at a, at a pretty routine clip. Um, but but all of the exorbitant name dropping, and it's like biblical. I mean, it is baguette style name dropping. Oh, I was with Diddy and Dave Chappelle and all of these other people. Essentially just to say the BET music, BET, the network devoted to black people and black issues, had a thing at the White House. Lots of celebrities came. Oh, yeah, I was there too. Then you go on about your meetings with the president. The bottom line here appears to be that Ta-Nehisi Coates thinks that the president was both cool and amazing and remarkable and that it was splendid that he was black, but he couldn't be nearly as black as he would have wanted to be or needed to be for black America. Mm. And because black America needs a savior is Ta-Nehisi's explanation here, because America is hopelessly, wait for it, white supremacist. What oh. does that What does that mean? Did he actually is he actually use that phrase? Um, I, he talks about implicit? he talks about whiteness um, throughout. Yeah. He uses the phrase white supremacist um, in various other contexts. And when he talks about white supremacy, white supremacy is not the idea that white people are better than black people. When he says you are a white supremacist in today's context, what it generally means, when we're not talking about the Klan, when woke people say it, they are talking about the fact that at some point in America's past, black people were subjugated in systematic ways. And then after after slavery, there was Jim Crow and various other things. And white supremacy is the fact that all of these institutions that we have around us stem from that period of time. And therefore, ergo, any outcome from here on out is white supremacy. Hmm. It is a hopeless situation that we find ourselves in it is intractable it's why the president says when he sits down with the incomparably brilliant sarcasm trevor noah to give an interview and talk about how america hasn't gotten beyond the legacy of uh, slavery and jim crow what does that look like what does it mean when you get beyond the legacy of the of i don't know the tea part the boston tea party you're or obama, the civil by the way. war you're obama or world war ii what like does that a, mean it's like no it is it is a part of now. you but but in any at any rate the the failure the failing um in tanahisi's work so far as i'm concerned is this emphasis on whiteness is this confusion of and he talks about this um early on as well that when barack obama talks about the presidency he talks a lot about um he talks about it in soaring rhetoric. There's like sort of the presidential way that we talk about um, uh, the United States and its its greatness and its goodness in in a way that expunges all of its past crimes. Okay, but I, and I, I guess th- this is the problem that I have with it. And you know, there there are a couple of things that that jump out at me immediately is um, things like mental illness and drug addiction and sexual abuse are um, such profoundly 
uh, influential factors in people's lives that know no race and know no sexual barrier. And when you are a victim or a party to such things, they change you in a way. It's it's very difficult to change either back into something that you feel like you were or metamorphosize into something that you want to be. And saying that, uh, you know, we are simply a culture that is either black or white is so insulting to to people who have fallen prey to some of those circumstances. And, you know, the other thing, you talk about subjugation and uh, my family, my mom and her family, like they had their farm taken away from them, forcibly taken away from them in Romania. And it, it wasn't by black people. It was by people who thought that they were dirty peasants mm-hmm. and thought that they were beneath them. And, you know, they didn't come to this country feeling that they were great and better than other people and certainly black people because they weren't a party to slavery or racism. Right. You know, they came here and they didn't have words for a lot of the Eastern Europeans who, who went to the Midwest. So they had to call them names that they already had uh, for people from other parts parts of the world or including or, honky which is from a uh, hungarian right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Who, and like romanians are a little, little husky mm-hmm. yeah but they they call them spicks and you know it's like you you completely marginalize other people's experiences when you try and make the world black and white for lack of a better phrase and it's so incredibly insulting and so short-sighted it's incredibly myopic and and for a man for a man who is uh celebrated for his supposed brilliance the fact that he is a one note um uh prophet uh that his jeremiads always emphasize precisely the same sort of narrow issues in, in fact, one narrow issue. <laughs> yeah. Like when he is celebrating the president, he, he talks about all of his many accomplishments, the way that that millions of young black Americans now have an understanding of what they can accomplish. Apparently, they understand it so much that they stayed their asses in bed for the most part <laughs> when it was time to come out and vote. And, dis- and, and they didn't decide to cast a vote in favor of his chosen successor. That deserves some attention. And while Ta-Nehisi continues to 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 stand uh, on top of this white lash narrative, one that has been sort of barely substantiated uh, by any sort of empirical evidence, anything outside of the the anything with respect to like exit polling, anything that has anything to do with what voters say they are actually voting for, um, while he continues to stand on this notion that Barack Obama's defeat and the rise of Donald Trump has everything to do with white bigotry and white awfulness. Um, you at least have to, if you're going to apportion blame in that way, you have to apportion some blame, apparently, to all of these black people who, I, I suppose, as a consequence of their self-loathing, well, which the comes from all is, of is these it things? Colin Kaepernick? I don't know. Like, what, does, what is Colin Kaepernick's ultimate goal? Oh, you know, Colin what, Kaepernick? Yeah. Colin Kaepernick has no goal. Colin Kaepernick is a prisoner of this tribalist ideology and the same ill-informed and strangely focused uh, uh, black... Uh, sense of of genera- intergenerational victimhood and a sense that all other peoples, particularly white peoples, regardless of whether or not their ancestors are from Romania, are the beneficiaries of all sorts of implicit racism that is working under the surface. Then there's no satisfactory outcome. There is no satisfactory But that's precisely the point. It's cultural nihilism. Actually, that is precisely the point. And that is what he arrives at. He arrives at both race is a a bizarre, race is an ugly lie 
and you should embrace blackness because it's beautiful and whiteness can't be redeemed and America can't be redeemed and America is awful. And look, if you're going to push back against, and this is the end of my tirade, if you're going to push back against the American greatness narrative, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with accepting that America is a hell of a lot more complicated. Its history is a lot more complicated than most of the politicians let on. That When we talk about um, America's greatness and the founders, we paper over a lot of nasty shit. We do. Um, but MLK, he had an approach to that. He talked about the moral arc of history bending towards justice, us constantly getting better and improving in materially significant ways. I think if MLK was alive today... He would, and he was a social justice warrior on various, any number of, of issues, and I hate that phrase, um, but on economic stuff. But he would be celebrating a lot of the extraordinary accomplishments that have been made. I hope. Maybe he wouldn't, but he ought to, because they have been <laughs> damn extraordinary. You know, it, it's, the, the, yeah. the fact that he continues to push this other thing in the face of all of that, that he can't accept that nuance and, and argue for that, and instead simply condemns out of hand and castigates all other white people and transfers by some bizarre alchemy all guilt onto all other white people is disgusting and despicable. And I think most of the things he writes are philosophically bankrupt and contemptible. Wow. That's I I, <laughs> I can't really follow that. Um, I'm sorry. A few, no, it's you fine. No, that's 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 a that's a uh, that's a compliment to you that I can't follow that. Um, a few things about this. One is America's unique in the sense of our sense of history recently. There's very few countries you can go to who, where you'll have somebody that can be a success in, in the Ta-Nehisi Coates mold of talking about America's history in the way that we talk about it. The simplification of American myths is something that every country does. With Every single country in the world has national myths. And I think the reason for that is not because we have a encoded in our national DNA. We have a jingoism that is unique to America. It's also because people don't like complicated things. And actually, the complication has now gone the other direction. So when Standing Rock is happening, um, any number of people I talked to said to me, well, you know, because of the genocide against the Indians and the genocide. Of the, and I'd say, I'd ask them, can you name like one moment of the uh, genocide of the American Indians. I'm, you know, if I said the same thing about Nazi Germany, you could probably say Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen or something like this, or trains packed with people. And um, you don't even get an Andrew Jackson stuff. They're just like, well, n um, no, not really. That's just the sort of received wisdom now. The received wisdom now, the atomic bomb was a bad idea. I mean, all of these things are just sort of received wisdom now in a different way, much in the way that 50, 60 years ago, the founders were glorious. Andrew Jackson deserved to be on, on, on currency, et cetera. There was no complications. We have a different type of no complications now. So uh -huh. it's, no compli it's kind of going no complications into the Howard Zinn uh, uh, territory. But the thing that I find interesting about-, about I learned about him in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> How about you read Howard Zinn? It's like, oh, God, you know why you're the janitor and didn't go to Harvard? Because you're reading Harvard Zinn. I mean, geez. It's like, so, I mean, you have this thing now where, where the original sin of, of America, the question that I have about this is once we acknowledge it, and um, we do, a lot of people do acknowledge this a lot, and I think, I think it's some, some, and some, some people exaggerate it. And so, well, sure, and I think that I, some, I said that Camille said Camille that. Camille said He's that. I think, I think, not, not, not Moynihan. I think in some ways there's a lot of stuff to acknowledge, of course, but I think there's a lot of junk history that goes along with this stuff. And where we are now is that any time I have a conversation with somebody who uh, the Camille would deem woke. Uh, I get the same kind of argument about whiteness, about white supremacy, 
about the institutions being formed on the broken backs of um, people. Well, this is broken true. Broken bodies. Broken bodies. Broken, bodies. Yeah, broken, yeah. broken black Bo- bodies. Backs is, and bodies. That is, this it is, is heritage to break black bodies. This is, it is, it is heritage to break bodies, period. And the, if you do it right. I don't, I don't know <laughs> of a lot of countries where you have, um, you know, a sort of institutions, government institutions, uh, cultural institutions that didn't come from quote unquote appropriation that didn't come from sort of being rather mean to your neighbors or rather mean to your minority groups. There are minority groups that most people, you know, in America have never heard of that are sort of Asian looking minorities that are in Afghanistan, but are now implanted on the borders of Iran. People Uyghurs. No, it's actually not Uyghurs. No, Uyghurs are in China. But people yes, like they the, are. But people this week. In Uyghuristan. Yeah, in Uyghuristan. Uh, and so and all, in our hearts. And it's all, a real thing, people. We, we have uh, America. It's, it's not just snow. It's not just vanilla ice. That's a wigger. It's a, oh yeah. It's a I always different. get them confused. Yeah, it's fine. So they weren't in Guantanamo Bay. No, 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 no. They're fine. But I think that we have this idea of American exceptionalism of that we're exceptional in our awfulness too. Mm-hmm. This is we're also we, we used to be exceptional in you know we won the second second world war the greatest generation now we're exceptional in our own awfulness. But my question to all, all these people who tell, tell me about this, this is how the country was built. It was built on blah, blah, blah. There's a point where you're like, well, that's really interesting and I'm happy that you're going to write a book about it. But where does this get us now? And why every contemporary political debate has to reach deep into the past to, for all of us to ritually acknowledge why the situation is bad the way it is, which is true. I mean, there's a reason. It's very adolescent. I mean, there's a reason that neighborhoods there's, are fanned out so the way they are because guys, of discrimination in the past, et cetera. But, but I just don't know. I, I do know what, argue they would, what argument they would deploy. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually interested in what the I mean, argument the, is. The argument that they would deploy in response to that is – we need to reallocate all of the wealth that has been amassed in this country because it has been amassed in an unfair way. Imagine doing that worldwide. In a particularly unfair way. And worse yet, yet, thanks to the remarkable book, Sarcasm, Empire of Cotton, um, we now know that the United States exists because first war capitalism was the thing that that the system of production was organized around. And we know that Absent slavery and King Cotton, it was absolutely impossible for the United States to become the economic world power that it is. That is a highly debatable proposition. There is a lively uh, debate happening in academia amongst economists and historians right now that is worth your investigation, uh, but we won't get into now. But that is how they would respond. Can I quickly just interject uh, about my small space consultant, the gay Central American uh, lefty guy who... <laughs> build shelves in our closets. I don't yeah, know where yeah, that's yeah, going, that's... but please do. Well, uh, he's been uh, been uh, making a wonderful guy. Uh, it's New York. You, you have, live in small spaces, and so he maximizes it, and, and it's it's great. But he also dispenses over lunchtime uh, sessions a little bit of wisdom here. And he's a guy who's further to the left of certainly anyone sitting in this room, and and many of our friends as well um, uh, from Central America. As I said, gay, not an American citizen. That he's lived here for 45 years. And he was talking and laughing at his friends who said, I've got to leave the country now that Donald Trump is president. Uh, and his uh, response to them is like, honey, have you been 
in another country? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you think it's better for our people anywhere else? You're crazy. We live in New York. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, you know, this place, yeah, you know, the pendulum swings here and there, yeah. but this is the best place in the world to live, uh, if, if you, especially if you were in a position of being in a disfavored minority, especially. Yeah. What's yeah. his argument? I'm not saying that yeah. it's the, the, the it's, God's I, truth. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's broadly true. And I mean, I, this is – none of these people who say they're going to, to you know, pick up sticks and leave uh, ever do actually leave. And to this, the Empire of Cotton book, which I've been reading a little bit about too, is it's a wonderful thing about the way societies um, survive and thrive is that almost at every point in human, human history, they do this through some form of trade. Right? I mean, you can't do it only internally. You don't grow and you don't expand. So when you have that level of trade, anything that, ba- that bad that happens during those periods of expanding trade can be attributed to the trade. <laughs> I've noticed this a lot in academia. It's like, you know, the capitalist instinct that created this, like, you know, because slavery, they needed more of this to buy. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of societies that developed and have incredibly deep sort of racial economic problems that had none of this. So we have these test cases where none of this happens. There's no slavery. There's no expansive trade. You know, the, we have a, a backwards-looking kind of academic program that everybody knows. We tend to focus on academia now because of all the madness that goes on. So we have the other day at, the, at Penn or something, I think it was at Penn, where they removed a, a photo of William Shakespeare. Hmm. And the headline was great. I tweeted this. It was a fantastically Orwellian headline. Uh, Shakespeare removed uh, um, for purposes of inclusion. Yeah, so yeah, by yeah. inclusion, we'll exclude. But this is what we tend to think about in academia. It, the other stuff is so tedious and boring that where all these people that, that, that seep into the, journal, to the journalism cores that we see now, these young people that come in and work at BuzzFeed and write this stuff that I'm sending Camille all day, like, you know, 10, <laughs> what was it, the 10 PowerPoints that, like, people who just didn't give a fuck or something? Yeah. And it was like... It was brave. It, it was like brave, and it was all this, like, insane insane like identity politics stuff but these people come out into the workforce now and they look at the world through the way that academics look at it now and it's a sort of monoculture and hopefully they get quickly fired Unfortunately, yeah, no. that used to be the case, and no. now it's sort of that that is the there are culture too many of now. them. It's too many of them is overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like that generation is now coming up that that saw PC before and were in academic institutions before, and now when you see stuff like you know ec- like go to an economics department. Like, we talk about George Mason University. We talk a little less now because it's not as uniform as it once was, like University of Chicago. These are free marketplaces. You know, economists, by and large, agree that trade is a net positive. But yet, we still have to look these, yeah, we have this little place here that thinks that, you know, markets have been generally good for the world and global trade has been a positive thing. We in have two era, that we can identify. In an a few era where we've halved global poverty in 20 years. And, 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 millions after, the, pull and after the election of a president who yeah. has promised to destroy uh, any number of foundational principles about those free markets that make them work so well. But, no. I mean, he's, he's nominated a we'll globalist yeah. as Secretary of State. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, people don't I, realize, like... I've got no idea what's going to happen. I suspect he was lying about most things. sanctions and increasing I hear you. free trade. We'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I, I, I've got one... I'm going to indulge. I'll take moderator's uh, uh, prerogative yeah. here. and I'm not really, but... Um, one more thing about TNC, and we talked earlier about sort of just celebrating Obama on his way out. This piece indulges in that heroically. Obama is brilliant and smart. And my God, he's cool. He's good at basketball. He is to intellectual stuff 
what George Foreman in his prime was. Fighting 12 guys, one after the other. He's that remarkable. That's a real analogy from the really? uh, article. Foreman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really bad. Foreman so, knocked so, you out. So, so I think that's interesting. If you want to be interesting, I, use Ken Norton. I want to point, yeah, to, exactly. I want to, point to just defense. just one thing, because he also mentions Black Lives Matter and the remarkable impact that they have had on all sorts of important issues. Barack Obama has certainly talked a lot about things from the Trayvon Martin situation um, to the Henry Louis Gates thing, which happened shortly after he took Skip. office. Um, Skippy. But, <laughs> but one thing Skip that case. happened, yeah, right. <laughs> one thing that happened not, not too long ago, two years ago, uh, were two guys died. Um, one was Mike Brown uh, in Ferguson and the other was um, Eric Garner in New York City. Um, after those two guys died, this whole Black Lives Matter thing exploded. There was this public consciousness and awareness about these issues. And there was a lot of talk about reform and all of the things that were going to change. Very little has happened at the federal level since then, except for talk about investigations and philosophizing from the president until October of this year, when the president, two years after those events, decides that it is finally time for his Justice Department to, I don't know, maybe keep track of the number of violent use of force situations involving the police. Took two years. Took two years because they were working on this so hard, right? Not exactly. Took two years because he, I have no idea. What we actually ended up with was a toothless piece of a policy proposal that effectively kicks the can down the road for his successor to take on. All of the the wild flailing all of the emotional outpouring, all of the blackness on display, the president's unique ability to understand these issues resulted in almost jack squat with respect to these issues. People want and it's, it's imperative to acknowledge that crap. Nothing has happened, Matt. I agree Absolutely with you. nothing. The policy People, could go nowhere. This, this points to what uh, Moynihan was talking – I mean Hollywood was talking about – or actually <laughs> loquacious D-I-C-K. That was a, a new MC handle <laughs> for you, okay. which is pretty awesome. Uh, what, what Michael was talking about earlier in the show, which is that – that it, people want, actually, they don't want policy change. They want the person up in the politician chair to connect with them on an emotional and rhetorical level. So, oh, thank God, Obama connected with me, and I won't really hold his feet to the fire on the actual things that he has in charge in his hands that it's he could Justice change Department. for the better. He didn't the need to Justice wait for anybody. He you don't need any sort of A lot of those reforms stuff. were talked about Five years before Ferguson, you could have changed, you know, stupid things about forensic evidence, which, much of which is total baloney. And I hope uh, Emmanuel stopped listening uh, by, by here because <laughs> she's going to get mad at me now when I start talking about this. But like, uh, uh, no, I mean, a lot of that, like jailhouse snitch testimony, all these these uh, corrupt or like structural problems in the criminal justice system that the federal government is driving. We've known about for five or ten years. Before all this. Do you know how many people have told me and, and, and said, you know, it is amazing. It is amazing. I actually did a piece on it, which will probably air on the show soon. Um, there was just a flat news story about it. But it's amazing how many um, commutations Obama has uh, has pushed through in the past year, more so than any president since, I, I don't know, Woodrow Wilson, I think, was 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 the last one. And that was, a, I think, a, a, there's like some prohibition era kind of thing with it. 
The thing about it is when you ask the counter question is like you love Obama symbolism so much. You love it. You love Uh it. You love it. What did Obama do to prevent more people from going into prisons? Because I I remember dispensaries being raided. I don't remember a secession of the drug war. Right. That's that's been stepped back. But that's no courage. After stepping it up. You step it up and you step it back. It's like, you know, pretty much. Two and a half million people have been deported, and this is what Donald Trump claims is going claims criminal aliens are going. Two million are going to be deported. Barack Obama has deported two point five million people. Yeah, but he said si se puede. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like the things is like the symbolic stuff always wins, and like he's letting these people out of jail. And you know, by the way, a lot of the people he's letting out of jail should be out of jail. And it's actually some of the stuff is like I can't believe somebody and was in jail for twenty five years so long, for for yeah, you know why they have to wait one to the end rock. Of your second yeah, term. yeah, exactly. That's soon as, disingenuous. Soon as exactly. It's totally disingenuous. Yeah. It's the on the way out. Here's a legacy thing, and if I really wanted a, a serious legacy thing, Pardon and I wanted Edward to take Snowden? a t- take take a fight, I would have I would have done. Or, you know, I mean, for instance, power, that would never happen. But I mean, you know. The drug war. I mean, what did he do when he says, and he's made public statements about the drug war disaffect, uh, uh, um, disproportionately affecting Black Americans? Mm. And you know, by by your own memoir, a wrong turn on a street one day, and you have a bag of coke in your pocket. And he laughed at that. And you could have gone. You could have gone to prison, this. never been president. We talked about this you on, on Kennedy's show that. a couple of weeks ago. He laughed at people the first five years of his presidency whenever he would be submitted to YouTube commenters or Google people or some kind of like, you know, online thing. Yeah. Ask the president a question. The first question was always, when are you going to legalize pot, you asshole? Yeah. And he would laugh at them like, oh, yeah, so funny. he did that. He did that with Vice uh, with Shane Smith. The last question, it was it was a it was a user uh, like a comment on Facebook. And he and his response was, <laughs> uh, Shane, there's uh, more important things. Where's the let's outrage? talk about let's talk about this. And it's like, no, that is an incredible bait and switch. And it's a great little turn for people because the average viewer. He does viewer, that with everything, though. He does with everything. And this one, you would expect that people would catch on to it. They don't. And, like, you know, I know your, I know your readers want to get, get high, but, you know, uh, here's the more important issues. And never mentioning and never reminding anyone, it's very easy to remind them, that it's not about just getting high. It's about not going to prison. Yeah, it's, not about, it's about ruining people's lives for, for small infractions that are nonviolent. Why can't you address the question in that way and not make a mockery And of if, it? if someone is arrested for something like that, you know, either they die because they're shot, as was the case in North Carolina for the guy who was smoking weed in his truck, or they're now inserted into a system that they can't afford to get out of. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one of the saddest unintended consequences of this type of prohibition. And that's why, you know, the good news about it is people have educated themselves. But the bad news is now we're entering an administration that if there's one thing you can forecast, mm-hmm. it's that the Jeff Sessions Justice Department is going to be horrible, horrible. on, on marijuana. So because of the president's inaction, yes. we're going to now have an extended worsening of the criminal justice system in regards to marijuana. And Judge Napolitano has said, this has already gone before the Supreme Court. Yeah. And and the Supreme Court is not going to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it up to the states. Yeah. They have already this, decided this that is the, the federal government... There's, there's yeah. one tiny, tiny silver lining that nobody's noticed here, is that um, it has been floated uh, that the head of the FDA might be a guy named Jim O'Neill. Uh, Jim guy, is right. a Peter Thiel guy, um, and I will uh, confess that I know Jim. Uh, uh, Jim is uh, the most libertarian person I've ever met in my life. He is obviously uh, the head of the FDA, will be somebody who believes that uh, marijuana 
uh, should be uh, legalized and yeah. one should be able to buy it whenever wow. and wherever. And it's other, actually a fairly interesting thing that people yeah. haven't noticed. And also, I mean, th- that might change the way the FDA does business so that it would do its business like it's done with HIV but almost nothing else, which is go ahead and have your experiments. Let's yeah. not yeah. like – Well, that's that you will, def- well, no, you will definitely get that if he, if he becomes – Research facilities. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, and we talked yeah. about this on my show was that the FDA has now I- I- approved – Expanded trials for MDMA for PTSD. Yeah. Which yeah. is, uh, you know, that is, and it's still like, you know, I put that out there on Twitter and people were like, I'm a veteran. Don't you dare tell me that I should go take a party drug to get better. It's like, no, that's yeah. actually not the point of why hallucinogens were created in the first place because in a therapeutic setting, people after a few sessions can actually be considered cured. But because of our stigma and drug hysteria, yeah. we won't allow the federal government to reschedule something like this or, you know, to an even lesser degree, allow trials in such tightly controlled environments. And we're going to have to wait years for a greater application so people can actually heal. Yeah. Because of that that stupid stigma from drug warriors. And, you know, you can only imagine what our culture will be like if they applied that to alcohol. Like one one final, final science. brief point on this is that, uh, you know, as you ban everything and as you prevent it from, from happening above ground, it goes underground. Uh, there are in this city, and I know two people that have participated, um, one of whom actually does this for specifically for veterans. And they are this person is a doctor and they do it in a controlled environment. I asked this person if I could potentially do a story about this. Um, they are so paranoid. Um, they said, absolutely not. I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life. This is but Dr. I, Robert. This is <laughs> me and my friend. I said to call Dr. Robert. They do it under very, very tight, uh, controlled circumstances. They don't buy stuff off what the street. That? And they do uh, things for people with PTSD with uh, various uh, drugs. I think most of it is MDMA. Yeah. Um, and there are some other you things. I think it might even test. might even be might even be ketamine too that that is been but te- they, being they, tested. They had you know they've had profound results with psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah. But the book Acid Test is all about the history of that and the people who've been fighting for decades just to get some the, the cooperation from the federal government to get basic research yeah. so we can figure out how this stuff works, how it's interacting with the brain and why in a therapeutic setting you're having such profound results which by the way it's so much cheaper mm-hmm. than putting someone through years of therapy or antidepressants that not only don't work they they change the brain and have more and your therapist two hundred dollars an hour, one hundred and fifty dollars yeah. an hour, and you and found then you, have, uh, you, you said that the shrooms have helped you with your personal <laughs> therapy, right? I told you I did mushrooms once this year. <laughs> Why did I admit that? On the, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I, I, I haven't done it in a about. very very long time. I've never and there done was, mushrooms. Is there was a chocolate bar. Um, which I told you had a very nice package. It was like prepackaged, and I yeah, had a couple of squares in a peer pressure environment, and I had a blast. Well, we, we have, so uh... it wasn't Maureen Dowd. Uh, yeah, it was like we were rolling on her bed in Denver. It was like me and Maureen Dowd in, 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 Fort, in Fort Collins. Yeah, yeah, in a Mork and Mindy and I, vest. I had One Mork a and bottle of wine sent up from room service, and I couldn't even answer the door. Um, well, look, we, we've you been going. Bring that up. We've been going for a while. Hold on air. Um, this oh, is God. this has been remarkable and fun and wonderful. We didn't even get to talk about uh, the Samantha B. Uh, Niskanen Center identity politics stuff, although there are some interesting parallels here. Thank God. Um, we should probably see if we can find someone from the Niskanen Center to come talk to us about identity politics and help us understand 
um, what they are, um, although they don't We're going to devote an entire episode to virtue signaling libertarianism. No, we, we'll get them on so they can defend themselves. I don't want to. I don't want to caricature them. I want to. I want to. Want to have an engaged engagement. Please, please don't punch me. Libertarianism is my favorite kind. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're that's good right. people. Maybe that's right. Who's yeah, that? Who? People. Who? What kind of person is a don't punch me libertarian? <laughs> Anyone don't, we know? Don't, don't put Matt on the spot. No, no, no. Yeah. Who, who, is, hey, no who is in that yeah. camp? Hey. The second the mics go off, I'm like, so is this guy? Yeah, is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> is that guy? And then this guy's a really bad person. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not. A, I mean, yeah, and you can uh, tweet at us and tell us uh, who yeah. those people are. We, we need to talk as soon as this ends about uh, the holidays, which are which are fast approaching, uh, and how we will do this. Thank God for all. Amazon Prime. We need yeah. to talk about how awesome it is to have Kennedy on this program. And that was going to be the, the last thing that I did, yeah. actually. Yeah, I know. But I wanna... it's fine. I, you can want me. me. I loved it. The room is very wonderful. hot. Very hot in here. Yeah. It is wonderful. Very, you're wearing you a Russian finish. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm, I'm still wearing a my scarf. scarf. You're wearing a scarf and a Russian <laughs> and a scarf. Yeah. I mean, so it's kind of your fault. Yeah. yeah. You actually. Oh wearing... no, I'm not complaining. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, this is what we do. Pressures are boxer very This is better than the sauna at Equinox. This is better than Martin Lawrence running in. Not for me. It's not foil suit. In the middle of the summer. <laughs> Sorry, Larry Craig. Yeah, oh, God. yeah. I go to a, talk I, about signaling. Yeah, I go to a different different gym. Well, maybe this is our last show for the year. I suspect twenty first and tenth. Um, but uh, we'll have another. This show. has We're, been fun. This is a weekly podcast. This has been fun. Yeah, we'll see. We can Thank just you. just call in from wherever the hell we are. Where are you going to be? Uh, I don't know. In you going on some great vacation? Mostly in New York. So no, you, no. I'm you driving you to DC. You fucking call me dog. in Hollywood, and I'm like, I, I take like the seven train to Queens, and like I go buy like Irish sausages, and I go home. Yeah. And you're like, hey man, what's going on? I'm in, I'm in Saint Lucia, <laughs> running for Parliament. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? First of all, he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, have... like, I'm in like tenth. I'm in like ultra first class. Like, it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. Asian women like on giving them hand jobs. <laughs> I can't say that because the kids are in the car. He does. Wow. Kids are in the car. doesn't talk like Jesse. Jackson won two buying Irish sausages. That's yeah. what we're calling this now. Um, that, that was not his Jesse Jackson. His Jesse Jackson to is much better. Queens. That's his Jesse Jackson. To get Irish sausages <laughs> when my grape turns into a raisin. Well, la- ladies and gentlemen. When my Joabel has lost its resonance. This has been the fifth column. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We'll Charge it to my time. head, but not to my heart. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth.